I'll put it this way, once a company reaches a certain level, you have enough profits, enough all of that, to pay people reasonably well. And beyond a point though, money doesn't have that much value. So that's why beyond a point in a private company, once it reaches the trajectory, money ceases the, the its motivating factor, at least not for me anymore. I need some traction. You need some traction. Let's get some traction. Hey, what's up, innovators, entrepreneurs, visionaries, and disruptors? This is your Traction Podcast host, Lloyd Lobo. We're a community of over 100,000 people, just like yourself, on a mission to help you get the methods, the money, and the madness to explode your business growth. Featuring stories and tactical advice straight from those who've done it before, like Shopify, Twilio, Asana, and many more. This episode is brought to you by Boast.ai. Each year, the U.S. and Canadian governments give out billions of dollars in R&D tax credits and innovation incentives to fund businesses like yours. But the application process is cumbersome, prone to frustrating audits, and receiving the money can take up to 16 months. Boast.ai gets you access to research and development tax credits and innovation funding opportunities without the headache and red tape. Join thousands of North American companies leveraging Boast AI software to maximize cashback. Check out boast.ai. This episode is also brought to you by Launch Academy, an international tech hub that provides mentorship, resources, network, and the environment for entrepreneurs to launch, fund, and grow their startups. Since 2012, Launch Academy has incubated over 6,000 entrepreneurs, of which 300 have grown their startups past seed and series A and have collectively raised over $1.2 billion in funding. To learn more about Launch Academy's programs, check out launchacademy.ca. 22 years. 22 years, a startup that's 22 years old. Yeah. And you've, you've raised a lot of money in the meantime. <laughs> How much have you raised? Zero. He's raised no money. Uh, How many customers do you have? 300,000 now. 300,000 customers, and how much revenue? We don't disclose, but here, a lot. high up there. A, a lot. lot. <laughs> no. That's, that's quite the story. One of the reasons we don't disclose is we are private. Well, you don't and have to. the benefit of being private, right? So, but you <laughs> never raise money. <laughs> it, when you started 22 years ago, what, what were you thinking? What, what did you actually want to build at the time? We wanted to build a long-term company that was, but I was focused on survival. My first thought, first year, maybe the second year was, we shouldn't go out of business. That's the overwhelming thought I remember. But I knew that, I mean, at a, at a theoretical level, right? I hadn't proved it to myself, but if we survived, we would thrive long-term. Hmm. But we had to first survive. So that's the first thing that I... <laughs> <laughs> Did you think you weren't going to survive at that point? Not really, but you are, when you are focused on that, then you do things that, for example, you are initially out optimized for revenue, revenue, revenue. Mm -hmm. Everything you do has to be pay the bills, yeah. yep. pay the employees, meet payroll, all of those. Mm. So that was the first year or two. And then it slowly it, it became... What, what was your product? back then? Because the Zoho we know today is yeah. different from what you did back That's then. That's uh, 
How many of you heard of this thing called SNMP? SNMP. Anybody? So one person in the room, two, okay. Three, maybe. Three, yeah. Four, five, six. That's coming out. Actually, we still sell that product. You can go to a domain called webnms.com, webnms.com. That's our domain. We still sell this product. This was the very first product we launched way back in 96. And uh, that still brings in a couple of million dollars a year in revenue. But it's an obscure, small niche. Like, I mean, I'm glad nobody knows this because if too many people knew it, too many people will be in it, right? But it's a small <laughs> niche, right? It's not a big market. Even after 22 years, we only do like one or two million a year. So no VCs would be interested in markets like that. But there's a lesson there. This is the kind of markets that bootstrappers, you best, your best bet because you have a small niche to yourself and it's easy to grow into it, easy to find customers because it's not, I mean, if you find the niche which not a lot of players, then easy to find customers, all of that. That's what happened to us and we picked it almost deliberately as a choice that, like, remember, this was a time when Yahoo was born. But I knew that if you are going to go compete with Yahoo, you would need a lot of money. So let me stick with something that's, you know, <laughs> small and obscure. If you're in that small niche, though, you can only grow so much. Yes, that is true. And... Uh, but the way I figured is, if we had the capital, then we could become our own VC and invest in the next thing, right? Mm. Not a lot of people think like that, but once we made, started making money, and within about seven years, our next division was born, that is called Manage Engine. Mm -hmm. In fact, right outside, we have a booth for it. And this provides IT management products for a broad audience. That was se seven years. Seven years. That's, that's the, like the iPhone is barely seven years old, <laughs> but that's a, that's a long time. Exactly. Yeah, but then patience. by that time, we had accumulated both know-how, how to build products, how to serve customers, how to market, all of these. And then we built our next set of products in Manage Engine. And then Zoho Division was born 2005 exactly, on actually on TechCrunch. That's where we were announced in August of 2005. It's TechCrunch was barely born at that time. Exactly. Yes. TechCrunch was born at that time too. Yes. <laughs> yes. Um, you started Zoho, it was basically a, a Zoho writer, I think, was the exactly. first product that was our back first then. Product. Yep. Basically Google Docs right. at, for, of its time. In fact, Google did not have Google Docs. They acquired a company called Writely mm -hmm. six months after we launched our word processor Zoho Writer. Did they try to acquire you instead? Uh, no, actually, we, they knew we were part of a bigger <laughs> company, right? The thing is, though, that is a lesson right there. We actually, when we entered the cloud, the word processor spreadsheet or presentation, nobody was doing it. Yeah. But six months after we launched it, Google acquired rightly, and then they acquired a presentation tool. I think they acquired a spreadsheet also around mm -hmm. that time. Within, a, within about a year, they acquired a lot of these things, and that's what became the G Suite today. And we were still, of course, a much smaller company than Google, and we are going up and against them. So that, of course, changed our business plan on Zoho. We pivoted towards CRM more at that time because I figured we could, it's easier to compete with Salesforce than with Google, right? <laughs> did I mean, that, which did one that, would you choose, right? Did that turn out to be true? And that turned out to be true. And of course, we still kept investing in R&D, so we now have a very broad product suite. But definitely, this was one of those calculus where we had to change the plan when Google muscled its way in, and which can happen to you know any company, that Google can enter your space, yeah. right? So. Now, um, did that help? You were were you worried that that was going to bring your company down at that point? Not, I mean, we already had 
reasonably established divisions in managed engine, web numbers, all of this. So this wasn't going to kill the company, but definitely we had to rethink our plans for Zoho itself. Mm -hmm. So at that time, if you go look up articles in TechCrunch, covered as a lot at that time, you'd be known as like the web office suite yeah. at that time. And But today we are much known for, for the CRM and other business software. And but so we had to do that pivot. Today you have, I counted earlier on, there might have been more by now, but there's 44 products. Yes. 44 Resolve different suite, yeah. products. It's, uh, it's pretty crazy. It is, it is. And every one of those products goes up against somebody who seems to be the market leader. Yeah. Yes, you know, Salesforce and Google and, and email and, and yep. Slack, Quick, have a tool Quick Click Books and, and Intuit yeah. and everybody else. Exactly. Uh, yeah. You've, you do everything. Yeah. How do you do everything right? Well, it's or uh, not? Maybe you're not, but we. This is a early on. We we have this DNA of really a strong focus on engineering product development. Remember, we came from a totally different product line, which still ships. That SNMP still brings in money. That has nothing at all to do with CRM, hmm. and that has nothing to do with accounting, right? So we built our core competence is building this product, and we, and as a private company, we could focus on this. The second reason we did that, this was a deliberate strategy. The reason was, early on, I figured we wanted to stay private. We don't want to raise money. We don't want to sell. And if you don't go public, you cannot acquire easily because most companies will use the stock as their acquisition currency. And in fact, it's a very good bet that a single product company today, once they go public, at some point, they will diversify their product portfolio. Their growth objectives will demand that, right? That's why they go and acquire. I mean, Salesforce has acquired maybe 60 or 70 companies in the past like seven years. And all of them will do that. Slack, when they go public, or Dropbox, when they go public, they will have to do it because to meet the public market's expectations, which puts pressure on a private company because you have to be able to have a diversified product portfolio to compete with those companies, right? Hmm. Early on, I figured this out and I said, well, then we have to build the product in order to survive long-term against our coming public competition. Mm -hmm. So I figured out we will invest in engineering first, build out the portfolio, and then when we are at a sufficient size, compete harder. That's that's the so we we had a, we adopted a different strategy basically. It's a very broad strategy. Yes, it is, and it 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 played to our strength. Mm. We that we could build a product. Just two weeks ago, we launched a product, and this is particularly relevant here to manage events like this. In the Zoho suite, it's called uh, our uh, backstage. Literally, it's called backstage in Zoho. We launched it because we conduct a lot of events now. Hmm. We automated it ourselves, and now we launched it as a product. That's an example of how we think about this. That's a very niche product compared it to is. CRM. Yes, it is, but it integrates with CRM. Right. So when we conduct events, the people who show up go into your CRM, then you can run campaigns to them, all of those things. So that's how we, we the product portfolio expanded based on that kind of thinking. It's the ultimate idea that somebody can just run their whole business on Zoho, basically. Yes, right? that, that's the idea, and that's why we call ourselves the operating system for business. And at some size, and once you have enough maturity, the message resonates more and more, and it is now. Mm -hmm. We are at 300,000 customers now, organizations around the world, and now the growth rate has actually accelerated. This year, our growth rate is better than the last, any time in the last five, 10 years, because the product suite is now more mature, and so more customers are discovering it. Hmm. 
Now, when you started out, did you know you did not want to take any money? We a VC money. Maybe the first. Okay, when we started out, there was no money to be had. Even today, I mean, contrary to the extreme amount of venture capital available, the average person who is going up for venture capital is going to be rejected. In fact, 90% of the people are going to be rejected, right? Even today. And except that, at that time, maybe 99% or 99.9% would have been rejected. That was the difference, only difference. Still, the most majority will get rejected. So, we had, we had only an engineering background. We knew how to code. At that time, that wasn't an easy pedigree to raise money. Though today it is, but at that time it wasn't. So we, the first or two years, we knew we were not going to get money. So you were afraid of getting rejected? Rejected, and we, so we didn't go up. At that point, VC started approaching us at about 99. Mm-hmm. 96, 99, we had VC interest. By then, we had reached like about 5, 6 million revenue. In fact, 2000, we crossed 10 million for the first time. And we realized we didn't need money. We were actually, where cash flow was very good. Hmm. Then I thought about this question. In fact, the only time I got a term sheet was in 2000. And Everybody VC, got a term sheet in yeah, 2000. We, the VC approached us. We got a term sheet. It's funny. I mean, the valuation was good. Everything was good, actually. And I looked up the, luckily, I read the full fine print of the contract, right? Normally, we don't do it, but I read. It said we are committing to an exit or liquidity in seven years. Actually, a pretty standard clause, right? I said, no, I don't like this clause. He said, well, it's funny. You are negotiating something nobody negotiates, but actually, you are not negotiating valuation or anything. I said, no, I don't like this clause. He said, well, this is standard. And then I consulted other people. They, they said, it's standard. At that time, I started to think, why is it standard? Why should we have an exit or liquidity clause? Then I realized, it's a financial investor. They need an exit. Hmm. But my interest is not aligned. I'm not interested in an exit. I'm married to this company. I'm going to be here forever. So that means we have two people whose objectives are fundamentally different. They want an exit, and I don't want an exit. So I said, then I don't want the money. He was actually taken aback. He said, why would you reject something that's where the term sheet is good? I said, because I don't want to exit. And after that, we decided we'll stay private forever. That's it's a true story. <laughs> <laughs> I'm at it now. 2000, now it's 18 years later, we're still at the game, so I don't want to exit. <laughs> You're still married. <laughs> was there never a temptation, though? Somebody must have come and said, we want to yeah, buy I you. Just, you know, people was that, but you know, I'll put it this way. Once a company reaches a certain level, you have enough profits, enough all of that to pay people reasonably well. And I don't live like a monk. I mean, I live reasonably well. I don't, I'm not, uh, you know, so it's beyond a point, though, Money doesn't have that much value. Hmm. I mean, whether you have, you know, the next $1 million doesn't have that same impact anymore. So that's why beyond a point in a private company, once it reaches the trajectory, money ceases the, the, its motivating factor, hmm. at least not for me anymore, which means that you have, your objectives become broader in life. What else do you want to do with the money? So that's where we are right now. It's a comfortable place to be. Yeah, and uh, then you have the freedom. You have the freedom to put your money where you believe in, and freedom to pursue projects you believe in. And I don't have to answer to shareholders you know, every quarter. And that's why I'm able to be in the game, because I don't have a burnout. No, that's, you know, that's something that we, re- we don't see. A, I, I meet, in fact, I have peers, public company CEOs. They tell me, you know, I'm so envy you. 
that you don't have to do all this shit that I have to put up with. <laughs> One of the reasons people tell me they really want to IPO, though, is to give their, their employees uh, the ability yes. to, to liquidate. Right. Correct. The, but think this way, right? Yes, you give your pre-IPO employees the ability to liquidate, but there are going, people who are going to be joining three years, five years down that after that, they're not going to be able to liquidate anything. Usually that's, right? Or, or I'll ask you this way. In Silicon Valley, there's AMD now. Who's joining AMD? Is anybody joining AMD for a infinite riches tomorrow? Not happening. They're joining AMD because they want to build chips. They have passion. Hmm. We attract a lot of those people, actually. So we, people know our model. We are private. We are going to be in the long haul. We pursue interesting projects. We invent a lot of technologies. So people join for those challenges. Now, what the, the, counter, the Silicon Valley counter argument would be that so you're not attracting the best people. Well, we'll, we'll show them in the market who is attracting the best people. That's all I'll say. <laughs> <laughs> We'd love to compete with, this, with that mindset. <laughs> Fair enough. Fair enough. Um, See, so when there was never a temptation to IPO, why? There was never a temptation to take BC money. Can you see why a startup would want to take that money? I though? totally. And can't be like you? Yeah, it is. If you are in a currently hot market, and if you have a limited time span, I mean, you have to take money, right? Because other guys are taking money. For example, if you are going after, if you were going after social networking in 2004, and Facebook is raising $500 million. I don't know how you could bootstrap and compete with them. We, would, we didn't, we wouldn't have, right? In fact, we, you can see that we pivoted towards CRM and other markets because Google entered the market. And in that case, I don't know that even 100 million, 500 million in VC money would have helped us because you are competing against Google who has 50 billion, 100 billion in the, in the bank. So it is, you know, you have to be aware of what your means are to pursue a particular you know, market. And the way that I say it is, if you think of this as first five years, I said start in year minus five as a bootstrapped entrepreneur. The first five years is to earn enough capital, the VC level of money, the first round, A round of money, to for the next five years. Then maybe in 10 years, you have that BC round of money. At some point, like we now have public company kind of money. In other words, our public competition doesn't have any more money than we do. So we can compete with them now more and more. <laughs> so that's the idea. So. That takes so much patience. Yeah, that is clear. You know, I, I've said this. Anything really worth doing in life does take patience and perseverance. Hmm. I mean, sometimes you can hit the lottery and be very successful in a very short period of time. But you cannot go in expecting that to happen to you. It can only be an accident or a lucky accident. The expectation for most people, entrepreneurs in particular, has to be that, you know, it's better for you to think that I'm in it for the long haul. Maybe you get lucky and the long haul is not so long haul for you. But you cannot have an expectation that I'm going to get rich in five years because mostly you will fail to meet that expectation and it will disappoint yourself. So our expectation from the beginning is it's going to be long slog. Hmm. And actually, you know what? It has been a more fun ride than I would have predicted at that time. <laughs> you never wanted out? Yeah, and, uh, and honestly, there was never a month where we had a payroll crisis. There was never, a, I had to max out my credit cards, none of this. And I sleep well at night. I've always slept well at night. <laughs> so those are things I'm, I'm thankful for, you know? <laughs> so. It's uh, hard to sleep when the VCs keep calling you. Or, or, or you're, you're overstretched in some way. Yeah. So we try to actually take 
risks that are proportionate to our means, yeah. always. That's the com so the competition doesn't keep you up at night either? No, I mean, I, I study the market, but we never get faced by, first of all, because we are so diversified. I mean, look at our product line. Hmm. It's not like any one company is going to put us out of business. We have such a broad portfolio now. So it doesn't, I mean, we, we learn execution from other companies. We study it constantly. In fact, uh, I was talking to, you know, uh, this traction event itself. We are, we conduct our events. I said, there are some things traction does better. We are going to learn from this, right? <laughs> so I'm constantly learning. But it's not like there's something that keeps me awake at night. Oh, shit, if we don't do this, we are screwed. <laughs> That's never, never the mindset. Now, here's a problem you have that most startups don't have. You've got 44 products. How do you market those? Yeah, that is a, you know, it's in the, increasingly now, one of the things for most companies, and particularly in SaaS, it's true, the cost of customer acquisition has skyrocketed. I mean, if you go to a keyword like CRM on Google, it's $70, $80 or $100 now, right? And anything, it's true. If you go for online chat or something or project management, any of these keywords is expensive. So this marketing issue has come to our advantage now where we can now cross promote across our own product. So if we acquire a customer for one product, we are able to sell other products to them. In fact, over time that has been driving our growth strategy. This thinking is not all that unorthodox actually because part of the reason why your profitability grows in a public company even is that once you acquire a customer, you are able to sell multiple products into them. We have that exact same strategy and it's working now. So yes, for a single product, take the backstage we introduced, the marketing challenge is immense. But once it, now it has a 300,000 customer base. In fact, on day one, we found maybe a 50 or 100 customers because of our existing Zoho customer base. What's, what's the next, how, how many more products are you going to do? We are building out a lot of things. We pursue a lot of R&D ideas because we can, and I'm fundamentally an engineer at art. And so we have a lot of teams pursuing a lot of interesting ideas. Everything from operating systems, compilers, browsers, to crazy ideas like that we do. Because a lot of those have payoffs in our other products. Hmm. We take an idea and then we incorporate it into our currently shipping product. The customers love the feature. So we do a lot of these. And we have hardware being built in a subsidiary. Yeah. We have even semiconductors, a lot of things going on that is. That's a, that's a, hold on. You're building your own semiconductors. Well, fabulous, right? We okay. design and then get it fab somewhere else. But the idea the is the engineering challenge involved in it. That's partly why we are doing. We have some really cool engineering talent that wants to build it. That's one of the reasons people join us and stay with us because of this fun element here. Are those CRM specialized conductor, uh, semiconductors? I mean, what, <laughs> someday there might be. Actually, someday that's that's a, that's an interesting thought. I mean, it could be. What I'm hinting at is it's that's a fun idea, but what's the point? Well, I'll tell you what the point is, right? Actually, I'll tell you why semiconductor. Moore's law, the the one where the chip capacity or the speed doubles every two years, that's dead, or it's kind of dying. Your semiconductors are not getting faster and faster. So a lot of your software productivity or speed is going to come from full stack architectural innovation. Not merely just that you write better code. You have to have full stack capability. Mm -hmm. Actually, Google invests in semiconductors. Microsoft does, Amazon does now. So a lot of software companies are looking at these now because you need that full stack to speed up the software now. Mm -hmm. So that's why it's not as crazy as it sounds. Sure, sure. 
And it, it, it kind of makes sense. You told me earlier on before we got up here that you're running your own data centers yes. as well. It's at scale, it is cheaper to run your own uh, servers and your own thing than the public cloud at scale. Mm. In fact, Dropbox just today, uh, their earnings they announced, their gross margins went up because they moved out of AWS to their own infrastructure. Mm. At scale, it makes a lot of sense to do your own. Right. For a startup, it probably doesn't. Yeah, for a startup, right now. if you have like 50 servers, it probably doesn't. But at 5,000 servers or 50,000 servers, it definitely does. So semiconductors, uh, I, I know you've got some healthcare thing going on yeah, as well. We, have a, we actually have a subsidiary that does uh, the, your uh, e, no, electronic medical records, the practice management, revenue management for, for uh, mm -hmm. practices. This is built on the same cloud infrastructure as Zoho, but it's a totally separate subsidiary we run got because it. it's, a, it's a regulated business. HIPAA compliance, all of that, so we keep it separate. You talk about software, you make hardware for that too. Yeah, we actually have a hardware subsidiary that builds hardware for hospitals, but that's tiny right yeah. now. It's just R&D right now. So you're sleeping well at night, but how do you keep focused? <laughs> well, you know, you look at, I mean, there are guys like Elon Musk who has 100 more things going on, <laughs> right? You look at him, I mean, I admire Well, that. he's going slightly crazy right <laughs> now, but that's a... I mean, at Tesla, as though that challenge is not enough, he's, uh, you know, firing rockets and he's drilling holes under the ground. I mean, yeah. so, the, the, I mean, the truth is the way I look at the challenge is you have smart people. It's not like I go and write the code in that thing, right? And smart people want challenges. There's a lot of smart talent in this world that just wants, desperately wants to put their talent to work. Sure. So I find the talent and, you know, just unleash yeah. them on some, some opportunity. That's it. Good for you. Um, and, and not being public gives us the freedom to do it, right? right? To deploy our capital that way. So we are our own sort of internal VC that way. Sure. That's what it sure. is. So you don't like VCs, but you're making your own. <laughs> in a way, it's a, it's a, no, but it's different though, right? I'm not interested in the financial return aspect mm -hmm. of it alone. I'm right. interested in making a difference in that area. So mm -hmm. it's a different mindset. Right. Now you mentioned talent earlier on and uh, it's hard to find talent. You do have Zoho University yeah. as well. Um, maybe you can, because he doesn't have enough things to do. Um, what is that? Yeah. So, you know, early on it came from the observation. Most of you will recognize this, right? If you worked at all for three, four, five years, you know these things to be true. The grades in college, the degrees and the job performance don't correlate very well. Just because somebody has excellent grades in college doesn't mean they're awesome at work. And just because someone came from a fancy school doesn't mean they're going to be very successful in the job, right? These things we have all observed. The thing is, oftentimes we make these observations, but we don't act on them. But about 15 years ago, I had the same observation and I decided, let's run an experiment. So we went to a neighborhood school in Chennai where our main R&D center is and where we said, Let's hire kids who are not going to college. Even today, even in America and even in Canada, maybe 50% of the kids are not going to college. Mm -hmm. So we'll target that group. Let's then put them through our own training program. See what happens. Just see what happens, right? We hired a professor, college professor, and we hired six kids out of a school. And after one year of this intensive program, hands-on program, they joined the team. Within two years, they became very productive. We said, wow, this is a very surprising result. And these kids were not going to college. They were not going to go to college. 
Then we expanded and expanded. Now we have 10 faculty members and 150, 140 students entered our program this year, just now in June, after the school got off. So 150 kids, all about 17 or 18, the age group. And we have one, 10 faculty. About 15% of the engineers who work for us don't have a degree at all. What? I mean, they have our own certification, which is what we, we call Zoho University. And yeah. now I become passionate about it because it solves a lot of the, you know, we pay these kids when they join. The 17, 18 year old who is in our program, they get paid a stipend, a living allowance. And so that they don't have to take on debt. And then within about a year and a half to two years, they will become full-time employees. And then they start earning. And that way now, it also serves a social cause where you are hiring kids who may not have gone to college, they may never have gone. For example, a Google would never have hired them, would never have seen them, right? Because they don't go to a fancy college. But they exist, they have clear talent. So that is that is the reason. How do you, so it's very different from Trump University, you don't have to pay for it. <laughs> no. um, no, we don't collect a dime, we actually pay them. That's, you actually learned something probably. Um, how do you find those kids? So we, by now we have established a pipeline in a lot of schools where there is an experience because this was, the experiment started 15 years ago. Now we have branched off into a lot of schools and word of mouth. This year we had actually about 2,000 applicants for our 150 slots, wow. believe it or not. So it has become a clamor to get into this program now. Are you planning to scale that out? Yes. In fact, that is my mission in life now. Like I no longer care about the, just the money we are making because that doesn't excite me anymore. I don't, I mean, I don't need the money myself, but definitely this program, I think it could be 10x bigger. And I believe in this passionately because, I mean, we hear about inequality, we hear about college debt, all of these. I believe private sector has to solve these problems. I don't think we can just say, oh, the government somehow has to come up with solution. We as entrepreneurs, capitalists, all of us have responsibility. And to me, this is uh, my passion now. Are you working with other tech companies on that? We, we actually are spreading this. Other companies are learning, visit us to learn exactly how we do it. We are willing to share this liberally. Any of you want to visit and check us out, we'll be happy. We are willing to open source all the methodology because I passionately believe in this. If every company did this, a lot of inequality will actually drop because you are extending opportunity to those who would not have got an opportunity. And are you extending that to North America as well? Yes, actually, and we also have a thing in Japan that we are doing. Japan for an interesting different reason. The demographics is so poor, you cannot find people. And we have a subsidiary there, we just can't find anybody. There's no one million, Japan is losing about one million people a year. Because the death rate is so much higher than the birth rate. So in Japan, this program is to attract the unusual talent and, and to, to bring it into Soho. So we are doing this in Japan right now. And it's in Tokyo in a big city. No, we are actually in a small town. And here is the interesting part. I visited this town about a year ago. Their demographics is like this. Five, 6,000 people and only 20 kids a year are born. And if you do the math, the population will drop to 1,600. Because if the 6,000 people, only 20 kids. So there is a desperation there for some investment, something, somebody coming and turning it around. They even like the fact that we could bring in people from India there. Because wow. they're saying our village will die otherwise. Hmm. It's interesting how, how bad the situation is in Japan. That's very special so for we, Japan. We think Zoho University could have a role to play in that respect there. At least keeping the kids there. Otherwise they will leave 
the population declines faster. Fair point, fair point. Um, Zero, time, clock. Our, our time is over, <laughs> this is it. I know you're gonna come up with more ideas, so <laughs> we'll, we'll talk next year again. We've got 66 products and three <laughs> universities. Thank you very thank much. Thank you, thank, thank you. you. I need some traction. Thank you for listening, and we hope you enjoyed this week's episode of the Traction Podcast. If you enjoyed the show, please leave us a five-star review. And you can find more information and all the resources mentioned in today's episode at boast.ai. That's B-O-A-S-T dot A-I forward slash blog. Now I know that it's no way for you to build a unicorn You need distribution to get growth in the truest form Just like Stuart did with Slack Put a billion on your back Don't get caught up in the hype Or you might just fall I need some traction You need some traction Let's get some traction